I'm Helen Lowe, and this is Naked Conversations, Women Uninterrupted, a series of dialogues I'm sharing with a soul friend and fellow life learner, Lisa Fitzhugh, because we believe that relating to self and other with honesty and vulnerability unlocks the transformational potential needed in a world poised for collapse. While some might challenge the notion that conversation is a catalyst for real change, we trust this most humble of actions is precisely what's needed to dismantle what doesn't work and cultivate a more inclusive and sustainable way of being. Whoever you are, we're honored to have you in the conversation. Hello, Lisa. Hello. Glad to be with you on this beautiful summer day. Oh, yeah. I'm really glad to be with you, too. Let's jump in, because you and I have been talking a bit about this next conversation, and it feels really fruitful on a summer day to talk about the masculine and the feminine energies that uh, are so inherent to all of us. (laughs) And... I think I want to have us both, though, create as an expansive as a view of masculine and feminine as we can, because I've noticed so often when I start talking about masculine versus feminine, um, we really jump into gender so quickly. And yet that is such a limited view of how these um, energies that we might call yin and yang um, really are much bigger than that and are so present in everything. So, so how, bring in some framing from your end, Helen, because um, you, you were saying some really good stuff the other day about this that helped me see it differently. I like this notion that we can think about masculine and feminine, yin and yang from the Chinese tradition, or Shiva and Shakti from a Vedic tradition. Um, we could just think of it as the polarity or the duality of the material world, this three-dimensional realm that our bodies exist in um, on planet Earth is inherently this dance of polarities of of masculine and feminine of of light and of dark of stillness and of action um, I think that the masculine and the feminine labels have come perhaps from um, the reality that m- men and women have historically and traditionally tended toward one pole more frequently than than another or or our gender roles have been more closely associated to one pole or the other this yin or yang this kind of still and dark and spacious or um, kind of hot and fiery and active you know um but they are just inherent in in being, in all beings, in everything. Like we wouldn't be alive if we didn't have both. They need each other. They need each other, yes. They need each other to exist and existence is dependent on them. Yeah. And in they in needing each other, it's as if they're they're they need each other to dance 
um, well to dance and create this manifest 3D reality. Um, and you know, I was back in Hawaii recently, and I was reminded of you know, something someone told me. You know, when I went to visit the Big Island one time, they said, "Ah, the Big Island. Um, it's such a it's such a tension between what they perceive as the biggest yang energy." being the volcanic, the volcanoes there, the hot, you know, fire pouring out and creating new rock and new, new land juxtaposed with the biggest yin, which is the Pacific ocean. And that this meeting point is it, right there is an incredible tension uh, to work with when you're on the big Island, it will tend to bring forward, um, bigger issues and, and potentially more confrontational stuff inside of us because of that meeting. And then I was also somewhere else, you know, I was over on Molokai and our dear friends were moving from the jungle to a, the dry side of the island. And they were noticing how they had spent a decade up in the wet, moist, dark jungle, the yin part of the island. And they were moving to this dry windswept, constantly sunny, yawn side of the island, and how differently that was affecting them as a couple. Mm. To be steeped in yin, and then to be surrounded by yawn, and how that was affecting their inner um, dynamics, the dynamics within themselves and the dynamics between each other. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I was sharing with someone recently a writing that I had, had done a few autumns ago. And in this writing, I was, I was communicating to a group to, and inviting people to notice this transition of moving from the, that hot, dry, really active intensity of summertime, which we could call yang or, or the masculine, the fiery energy, into the more yin time of, of winter and, and autumn is this transition place. It's kind of a, a balancing of these energies. Um, and this, this person that, uh, that I shared the writing with was, was recognizing his own um, like really activated dry heat yawn in himself and a need right now here at the height of summer for, for more yin, more kind mm. of slower, more contemplative. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, as men and as women, mm -hmm. we need both. Yeah, um, we need both. And, and, and yet, so culturally, what's valued more often um, is that assertive, pushing, um, firm, directive, yawn mm -hmm. energy, masculine energy, um, in any work setting um, that I, where I've been asked to do something to receive money for, <laughs> like <laughs> the exchange of some sort of financial um, compensation is mostly associated with how it is you manifest yawn energy, masculine yeah. energy. And so that's been a bias for me. It, then in turn, it's created a very great imbalance at times because if I'm only validated externally and from a financial perspective for that, then that's what I 
inclined towards regularly. Right. Um, you know, yeah, because your 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 livelihood, your very existence from a certain perspective depends on that. Absolutely. So, <laughs> I still have a, some growth to do around really finding a balance um, in my masculine and my feminine. So, how could I really invite? in the truest feminine in me who isn't still acting like or um, presenting herself as a more masculine force. There's a lot here, Lisa. There's a lot here. And I think it's interesting to explore this on the personal level and how um, these imbalances, if we want to call that, call them that, can play out in our lives. I also want to address how these imbalances play out in you know, the global arena because you mentioned about, you know, I, I think it's it's a verifiable fact <laughs> that 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 yawn is um, not only more often compensated, it's more highly compensated, you know? Um, and that's not, you know, we, we've seen some of this in the statistics that say, you know, that, that men typically will earn more for the same type of job than a woman. So, you know, even aside from that, it's that those more masculine um, jobs are more valued in our, economy. And also what's interesting is um, what's not sustainable is valued in our economy. So that, you know, like we look at the military industrial complex and there's actually great value on things that end life that disrupt life instead of give life, you know, and so while surgeons certainly make a whole lot of money, the family physicians make a whole hell of a lot less, right? The ones that are about sustaining um, a family and individual and kind of it's across its whole life cycle are seen as somehow less valuable, less worthy of compensation, of monetary, monetary compensation than those, yeah, than those who come in and, and, at some critical point of time and do some dramatic intervention, they, they get paid more. Um, yeah. We can see that with teachers, you know, um, something so important, these things that are so important to nurturing life, those who grow food, these, these are the professions that um, don't get nearly as much monetary income. Yeah. So it's no wonder then when our, our whole economy and our society focuses around and, and um, shows value for this one mode of being, this more active, energized, going after, direct, yawn, masculine way of being, it's no wonder that we've all come to devalue our own yin, quieter, more reflective, darker, um, 
more sensitive um, ways of being, these yin or more feminine, the nurturing, the sustaining. Um, Absolutely. And the thing that's most tragic to me is that all of this um, inclination to favor the masculine, the, the yang, is shows up in how we um, what we look to in our leaders. Right. Everything gets affected by this, but especially leadership. In, at least in this culture, the dominant leadership attributes that are valued and pre- preferred would be the yan masculine attributes. And um, and and what's what's tragic about that is that, like you said, it's unsustainable. And it's what we so need in leadership is a kind of um, a, a new kind of emotional intelligence from our leaders that would value slowing down, collaborative work, um, inclusion um, of many voices, uh, pausing <laughs> instead of acting so quickly, um, uh, being self-reflective. And so that you can have new perspectives. And those have been so undervalued um, in, in the leadership realm that we don't even recognize leadership that looks any other way. And as a result, we keep choosing in our political processes and even in, I think, in our organizations that kind of leader over any, anyone else um, and running into the same brick walls and in terms of outcomes or ability to engage an entire organization or an entire country in a new way, make room for other people in a new way. And so that tension, which is quite dramatic right now of our blindness to anyone who might show up with more yin, more feminine in their leadership attributes is creating a real barrier to, our, to being able to evolve more um, in how we solve problems together. Yeah, and I, I think it's important to highlight this because it doesn't, this is why we need to be clear that masculine and feminine does not mean male or female. Because what's actually happened is that women to a great degree to get any level of recognition or prominence in our society have had to lead strongly with their masculine energies and actually could become almost sometimes caricatures of, of, of their masculinity instead of a balance um, because they almost probably don't feel like they could afford to be feminine. They wouldn't get any attention or recognition. I, I think about our last election cycle, our last presidential election cycle, and it was so clear to me that uh, Bernie Sanders, for example, had so much more latitude to be feminine you know, than, than Hillary Clinton. Yeah. He was wildly more feminine um, 
and, and he could just be gentle and he could be slower and he could be re more reflective. And he could actually say in some of his stump speeches, the word love, you know, um, which, which I'm sure she didn't feel that she, she could. And there's many, I just use that as an example. There's many women um, who have risen to prominence on their masculinity and uh, I think are afraid to embody and exhibit their femininity, that the feminine aspect of being in their leadership. Absolutely. And because they're, because they, and I will speak from a personal experience because I have felt that it would be, I'd be immediately labeled naive and irrelevant. And I know so many women who sub subdue, dismiss and marginalize those aspects of their leadership that is more feminine or yin. Again, it's not about gender. It's about qualities of valuing um, the emotion, the inclusion, the collaboration, the reciprocity, deep listening. So I'm just, we're gonna, we will still have to say this several times because there's such a tendency to go to gender. But, and I just want to bring an example in that's very specific to Seattle, where we had a mayoral election, you know, a year and a half ago, maybe almost two years now. Um, and the two, there were two women running in the primary, and they represented two very different leadership styles. And one of the women represented a, a much more masculine, yon approach to leading, uh, directive, firm, um, uh, pushed into the world, certainty, um, always having answers, <laughs> not a lot of questions. Um, and then the other candidate, uh, Carrie Moon, who I supported, um, exemplified a leadership that I'd never seen on a political stage before. Never seen anyone show up claiming and owning such a high percentage of their feminine yin leadership style as a woman and she was softer she was more inquiring she was more inclusive she demonstrated a history of extensive collaboration and not needing to have all the answers and i really found it to be refreshing but my greatest sorrow during that election was that so many people actually didn't even see her as a viable candidate. In some ways, she was almost invisible because without articulating herself with more masculine, it was as if people couldn't literally see her. It was so unfamiliar. And I remember I had lunch with her after the election and I was so bummed that she didn't win. And I burst into tears as I was talking to her because the tears were about my gratitude for her showing up on that stage, uninhibited and fully claiming that aspect of herself, showing the world what that could look like. Because unless several people start to do this, unless women and men, start to step onto the political stage and demonstrate what that can look like. Our brains as the audience won't have the capacity to see them 
our brains need more examples um, from many more men and women of what a higher percentage of feminine attributes would look like in leaders across the spectrum. And I'll just say that in looking at the Democratic candidates that are emerging right now for president, it's refreshing to see that quite a number of them are bringing more of that feminine yin quality online and not so dependent, driven by exclusively the masculine or the yan energy. And it's been, I think we'll start to see, we'll be able to actually see them if the more of that shows up. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And there's, there's two points that, that occurred to me. And, and one is just, just to name that, just to highlight how important it is that men embody this, that this isn't just about putting more women in place. This is about men doing it, that, that actually the more we see men do it, the more it becomes understood and acceptable that it's not just a gender thing. It's actually a way of being. There's also something that feels really relevant to highlight, and that's a distinction between healthy and distorted aspects of masculine and feminine. And what we're seeing right now in our uh, current U.S. president is a massive distortion of masculine energy. It's not a healthy masculine it's a, so it's not only unbalanced, it's also highly toxic and distorted. Yeah. And the same could be true of feminine. There is a, there is a highly toxic and uh, distorted feminine as well. And just from my own life, I can recognize that in my youth, like in middle school and high school, I definitely did this kind of like dumbing myself down a bit thing. Mm. Like it's a distortion of the feminine, right? When the feminine like um, tries to kind of put on this kind of artificial sexuality and this um, artificial renunciation of intellect and uh, these things that have been falsely associated with, with masculine um, because there's a highly intelligent feminine energy and there's a highly intelligent masculine energy um, and, and they just get expressed differently, but in the same person. Absolutely. And so, um, and to this day, it's, it's a challenge to fight against some unconscious impulse to show up in the world in some way that's perceived as sexy. So that's valuable to be a woman and be feminine is supposed to be this, this put on thing, this kind of whatever hot or sexy is, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then we, we, we struggle with that, uh, oh, um, don't come on too strong. Don't be too smart. Don't show your smarts, you know, if you want to be attractive. And we see this especially uh, in, um, in popular culture and in, 
in, in films and our anchors, you know, on television. It's like, you know, the man can just show up in a suit and pretty straight on and he just has enough makeup so his, you know, skin doesn't shine in the lights, right? And the woman is, you know, spends twice as much time in the makeup trying to look sexy in her clothing and in the makeup and in the hair. These are distortions that are different than what's just the organic, the natural expressions of, of masculine energy or feminine energy or yin or yang. And, um, and sadly, you know, maybe, I don't know, it's just, it's the path a life takes. But uh, I, I think that, that you live long enough um, and, and it's possible to come to organically this recognition of, oh God, like I've got to relinquish all that shit, right? Like um, age, if nothing else, kind of is this beautiful um, way to let myself off the hook. There's just way less pressure and what's more organic and healthy starts to emerge. Yeah. And I'll say that as you were speaking, I really noticed the way that um, the, where it gets twisted, where it gets out of whack and away from the healthy expression of these two and into a kind of, distorted version of the two is where the quest for power comes in because if your masculine is questing for power that assertive driving manifesting capacity starts becoming abusive and in turn if anyone woman or man discover that the, the yin feels more too powerless the yin in them feels too powerless then how does that how does their then attempts to get power turn into manipulation via victimhood and stories um, that, that, that get at power a different way? I think this is really brilliant what you're saying. It's really important. And I want to add to that second one is that, that the feminine, one of the feminine distortions, yes, one of them is victimization, which you just pointed out, but it's also this sexual manipulation, right? It's this projection of some. Um, distorted, yeah, some distorted image to gain power. Exactly, exactly. So I look at some of our excessive attempts to um, em embellish our physical presence, whether we're masculine or feminine, as a way to gain power, um, attention, um, you know, Pull, pull in attention because that's what it does quite successfully uh, versus a more natural organic way of sitting with one's power and sitting with to be fully in our feminine or our yin would be to see all the power that was available in quiet stillness and submission to fully recognize that vulnerability as powerful versus never tapping into it never allowing ourselves to feel the power in vulnerability or the power in tenderness and the power in uh, uh, nakedness. Mm -hmm. And I don't see our culture allowing much space to learn about the power in the yin. Right. I feel like we learn more about the power in the yan. I mean, I personally whenever I have felt powerless, I immediately go to the yawn to, to regain power. 
I do, I assert, I direct, I create, and I move into the world with confidence and a bigger voice and take up more room. And suddenly now I feel powerful again. Or I've been struck by how much power there is available to oneself, one's personal power by sitting still and letting tears come, expressing a vulnerability. Um, There's a, a bunch of power in that because it's authentic. Bingo. And I think that's what's important. I think that, um, you know, when we take on, you know, kind of like from the outside, we wear these cloaks of what appears masculine, you know, or these cloaks of what appears feminine. And we try and um, almost steal the power, if you will, or conjure the power from, from an image um, there's, there's inherently no power in that. It's inherently insecure. And we, we inherently then try and wield power over or manipulate because we feel insecure. But when we come at our power uh, with full self-acceptance and appreciation for whatever shows up, this authentic power um, rises up and, and we don't have our power then isn't a power over it's a power with it's a power with ourselves with others you know with the whole of life we don't need to dominate or manipulate anything yeah. uh, and 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 so th- this authenticity is is really what's the true power and and helen you and i have mentioned this to each other before but um you know, the thing that we miss in this big masculine feminine dialogue that's going on right now, the sort of male female, uh, who's the victim, who's been abusive, who's taking advantage, how is power getting used or, or misused? I don't think that we as women, so if we want to look back historically for a while and let's just put sexuality aside for, for a moment. Um, but, and look at the grouping of women as a gender historically, there is some truth to the fact that we haven't been comfortable with and have not allowed men to be in their power when they're in yin. So when a man is weak and crying and still and silent, and unable to assert himself. That has, we've put a lot of projection on that as inadequate because we've needed men to be out there protecting, saving, defending, acting, making money. And for them to then, to, to be able to make the choice to be in their power when they're in their yin, I don't feel like men have felt they've ever had that very rarely had that option historically. So they've tended to get their power by staying in that lane. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. It's like we've had this um, implicit agreement. You know, we, we, I don't know if it's like back to an agricultural era. I, I don't know when we made this historic 
implicit agreement as men and women, but um, it was it was an exchange um, in which like the women got some kind of protection, um, some needed strength. Uh, to have a, a particular lifestyle and secure that lifestyle, yeah, and then the and then the men got from the women um, a nurturance, you know, and an emotionality that wasn't afforded to them when they were doing all this exterior strength stuff, right? And and then a family that got well knitted together, and then you know the family could then help. So th- there was, I mean, and this is just a very simplistic kind of high level look at it, but I think it's important to see how um, we're complicit, like women and men did this together and, and that we, we do the healthy parts of it together and we do the distorted parts of it together, you know, and, and when you bring up that, that thing about how women feel uncomfortable with men in their vulnerability, as much as I advocate men being in their vulnerability, I have to acknowledge that the men really close to me, when they get a certain level of vulnerability, I can get uncomfortable, right? I can, um, because it feels scary to lose, or, or I feel at risk, perhaps, of losing what I wanted, which was this this strength, right? And the stability in them. And so it's this dance, like it it doesn't mean I don't, I'm not a bad person for having those feelings, you know, and for feeling uncomfortable and nervous. And they're certainly not bad for being human and, and having vulnerability. I love it, but there is a dance. And so the men have to understand that the women might have feelings about, about their vulnerability. And then the women have to understand that they need to actually be able to contain and deal with those feelings. If they want a whole man, you know, they're going to have to be, they're going to have to be a whole woman and that's take responsibility for what arises in them when the man is more whole and less just one thing or polarized. Yeah. And this point in time, everything is flexing. Everything is bending and moving in this very dynamic exchange. I've noticed within myself, the um, masculine, feminine swings, polar swings and, and dance within just myself and how navigating that on a day-to-day basis to bring it into balance. So each get time and attention and allowance and perspective um, has been a real work for me over the last several years. Uh, and it's no easy thing when the habit is to be more young, to be more masculine in myself. And so then you add another person to the mix who's also flexing and bending their own masculine and feminine and dancing with that in this constant, you know, um, uh, flexing, flexing and, and adapting and noticing when, so the real, the real trick I think is, Noticing when we are dropping into polarities with each other, if, if, if we stop tending to that in, in ourselves, where do two people tend to incline? And then do we get stuck in that place? So if I'm tending towards more masculine and I'm in a relationship with someone who tends as a man even towards more feminine, that's our comfort zone. We can get stuck there. And suddenly 
between a dyad, which is a polarity, we start stay, staying in those two places. The same could be the case if it was a man and a woman and the man was more masculine, the woman was more feminine. You can get stuck there and suddenly all of the imbalances, especially around how to maintain one's personal power, can then emerge and become pretty tricky. Um, so I'm, you know, I think there's, quite a bit for us to to unearth especially for myself about how dismissive i have been and i know this gets into a slightly different territory but how diminishing and marginalizing i have been to the yin inside me to the feminine inside me and all the ways in which i have silenced that aspect of myself consistently which has kept, which is, which has kept me in this polarity. Helen, I'm going to pause here and say that the blue angels are flying overhead. Okay. I want to just circle back to what you were saying because yes, we are all internally um, coming up against these changes, and um, we're relating to these poles in different ways. And you, know, we we just now used a couple examples of men and women and that's historically how we've embodied these poles as men and women but even in today's culture in today's queer culture and this kind of gender ambiguous world that we're increasingly living in which is beautiful it feels to me like it's just an example of how these poles are wanting to get shaken up like yes. we're wanting to remove our like remove our identity from some polarity yeah. Um, but even in um, same sex or same gender uh, relationships, there can still be poles, you know, but we, all of them are feel like they're up for review. And that feels important to say. And then we're seeing it not only in ourselves, but we're, we're seeing it everywhere, um, not just the individuals. And what does that do to people who are less comfortable with change and, and evolution, right? So those who aren't necessarily uh, as open to questioning the polarities that they're identified with and, and maybe holding them less tightly, you don't even need to change them, just hold them less tightly. Um, what, what does that do to them? You know, like they might actually hold on to them even more tightly. And it seems like that's what we're seeing is we're seeing actually a more distorted masculine and a more distorted feminine at the same time that we're also experiencing this incredible new wave of fluidity of nuance. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's all, it's all happening all at the same time. Um, it's so fascinating to watch that. And I think in the, younger generation, like in my son's generation, um, the spectrum of expression of all these different aspects of feminine masculine and how that plays out in terms of sexuality is so dynamic. And they really don't want to be boxed into typical gender relationships, even very heterosexual young people, I think of really fatigued with those boxes. 
um, it's just, it's even, even, even when they're, you know, um, uh, seemingly on the outside looking somewhat conventional, I think underneath uh, there's a really deep need to not have those limitations, those identities stuck to them. So the question I'm curious about is in public spaces, when we're in our jobs, we're in group dynamics, when we're, um, you know, working together for, for a, in a movement or a political agenda, how do we allow more spaciousness for the very natural masculine feminine energies that emerge in all of us, regardless of our gender or sexuality? How do we start speaking to that in a way that allows what's been marginalized, what, that allows what's been suppressed for so long, that is, that is typically tends to be more yin feminine qualities. How do we create more space for that without it falling into a man woman thing? I'm curious about how that starts to happen. And I just, I don't know the answer to it. It feels like um, we're being invited in to explore it off more often in all of these workspaces. And well, I think that's at the heart of what it is that we're doing, really, Lisa. I mean, I, I think all of our conversations have been uh, an examination of a more feminine, a more yin way of showing up in the world and exploring the value in that, the benefits of that, not exclusive of the masculine yang ways of being, but inclusive, bringing more balance. So we've, we've talked about um, inviting more self-reflection and contemplation. We've talked about slowing down. We've talked about um, discerning uh, emotional intelligence and body intelligence that is required for real discernment versus uh, more mental just deciding. I think simply having conversation and simply opening ourselves to more possibilities than the known, the familiar, the habitual, all of these things uh, open us up to greater balance of a healthy and more authentic expression of, of masculine and feminine. What do you think? Yeah, we are doing that here for sure. I've recently re-listened to some of our conversations and I've noticed that my own assertiveness ebbs and flows in some of these conversations. And I've been struck by sometimes how assertive or how confident or how I'm making a point and I feel like I'm absolutely certain about it in the conversation. And it's okay, but it feels a little jarring sometimes. Like, oh, wow, look at how directive I sounded in that moment. And I'm not disparaging of it because I think that that 
that's part of who I am. And um, I also just want to be more aware of that tendency to be absolutely confident and how it can stop conversation. It can exclude and it can start to limit your input or anybody else's input that might be slightly different. So I've been learning that the choice I make to, to, to have my statement have more porosity, more porousness as I'm making it, it gives it room to breathe and everything then that, that is surrounding me, you and the larger conversation has more flexibility, has more inclusion, is more expansive. Um, and so it's been so great actually to watch uh, the limitations of a more masculine assertive approach. Um, certainly it's called for at times. Um, it can be great um, when I'm uh, in a crisis. It can be great when someone's feeling really unsteady and would like to um, know that, uh, you know, at least what are some options and for those options to come through with clarity. If I can offer some options with clarity, it is stabilizing. And yet, I have to be careful. I have to watch um, that that assertiveness doesn't um, uh, project too much certainty so that they start to depend on that certainty or so that I don't create enough, I don't leave enough room for there to be a whole bunch of other things that could also be true. So I'm just noticing that with us, that, that uh, I'm still in process around blending. So this is what I would say, Helen. I still see myself swinging between the two. And I'm interested in what starts to happen when these two poles integrate. What's the child they produce? What's the door number three? It's not to say that we're going to move out of duality in this realm. And yet, there, there really is a possibility for producing a third way of being that's a blend. So what's, well, what's occurring to me as you're speaking, Lisa, and uh, the Blue Angels are in the background there in Seattle, is I'm appreciating something that they actually show us um, because the sound and the force, you know, of the blue angels is most certainly uh, a pretty strong masculine. One might even call it a distorted masculine <laughs> from a certain perspective, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's not sustainable. That's for sure. And yet, what I appreciate about the Blue Angels, these these um, these aviators, these these uh, kind of sky dancers, if you will, they're using these massive machines uh, that have so much power and so much expression. There's one of of uh, of the masculine, 
but the pilots inside of them have all kinds of training to be deeply sensitive to each other and the energies energies of each other because they couldn't possibly communicate um, with cognitive brains and language, you know, and even instrumentation, exactly what's about to happen. They kind of have to feel each other. Yes, they use some of that instrumentation and, and, and some communication, but they also have to really feel each other. Um, and that is a yin quality to be deeply receptive and feel the other you know and to whatever extent they're doing that they become beautiful um these blue angels to watch not to listen to but to watch um how they move together and dance together um yeah so yeah well Corollary for that is the, you know, example that, um, so Daniel Coyle wrote the book Culture Code, and in it, he looks at all these different teams that really are high functioning together. And he talks about elite Navy SEAL teams. So again, one might think that that was a pretty hyper masculine expression of something in our culture. And yet, for them to function well, not only do they have to have all of those yawn characteristics online big time but their synergy is based on a profound vulnerability and trust with each other that comes from sharing at the deepest level and going through experiences with each other that um, where they're exposed completely as humans to each other so that they trust and can sense their moves before they even make them and uh and the best Navy SEAL um, lead is described in this book anyway, is someone who leads from a very collaborative, inclusive, non-directive approach. He shares leadership and they're constantly rotating leadership on that team. There is no one singular leader. They rotate all the time and distribute the leadership in the flat. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really a beautiful, look to as a beautiful blend then of bringing those two qualities together into sort of a seamlessness. Hello, Blue Angels. Hello. <laughs> How ironic. <laughs> they should be flying over. <laughs> um, there is something here about war and the realm of war or the realm of training uh, in preparation for war. I think so often, um, you know, historically, men who've come back from war can have a hard time fitting in in that there was an intense intimacy in that experience Uh, an intense vulnerability and an intense trust that then they have so often come back into their lives and maybe don't have in their own families. And there's also traumas and lots of other things involved. Um, But there's lots of reports from, from men of, of wars long past that there's tremendous intimacy that, seems to be then lost and 
it doesn't translate. And I, you know, I think it's, it, it goes back to your point about how men or the masculine doesn't feel safe to show up in so many contexts of our, of our world. So I think it's incumbent upon each one of us to get right in ourselves with the ways in which we're prejudiced toward one energy over the other, you know, and how that shows up in us and get, get honest with where we feel uncomfortable when certain people, because of their gender, express um, certain energies or, or within certain contexts, you know, that we feel uncomfortable when anybody expresses certain feminine energies, let's say, or, or the reverse is true. When do we get how are we uncomfortable around masculine energies and what stories do we hold about the masculine? What prejudice do we have against the masculine that makes the masculine not safe to be around, you know, it's because the feminine and the masculine both hold shadows in our cultures. And again, it's that those distorted where they're not safe. So, but we, it's incumbent upon each of us to kind of get clear with where we participate in making that not safe to show up one way or the other in a clean, healthy way, you know? Yeah. And then to bring it, to, to risk bringing it. Yeah. Well, the point you made about um, men or women returning from war uh, or war zones and feeling lost because they don't have that same sense of connection with their comrades, um, something about the way those environments are so high stakes and it's sort of life or death, much more than a day-to-day reality. Um, it's almost as if in this day-to-day reality where the stakes are lower, we, get, we, we don't show up with our full selves. We hide and mask. Um, we can afford to, um, and we do. We, we then you know, sort of hide who we really are much more. And uh, uh, in those higher stakes environment, um, one must bring everything you got to the table because it's survival. It's make or break. um, It seems like. And so I guess I wonder too, if um, we have gotten lazy in our relationships in the day to day, in the interactions day to day. And I, when I mean lazy, I mean, um, familiar with the the masks and the more and the inauthentic the inauthentic ways of being um, because they it works it can work uh, versus in a situation where it's life or death and it doesn't it doesn't work to be that way and uh, yeah I don't have an answer to that I just I'm just noticing that that could be true. It's interesting when the stakes are really high in a life and death situation. Yeah. Do we bring more of ourselves and how funny that the stakes feel so high to bring more, bring more of ourselves in the everyday. It's, it's an ironic thing. Um, Why do the stakes feel so high to show up more fully in the day to day? It's something perhaps to contemplate. Mm-hmm.
I'll just say that in maybe in closing, as we circle back to the beginning, you know, we just started by saying, let's talk about masculine and feminine. And we tried to define it. Um, the, the greater out external tensions that are going on between men and women right now are only solved by the war of masculine and feminine being resolved inside of each of us. And so um, I expect that the conflict that looks external to us now, the, the, the big tensions between the genders or the, or the masculine energies and the feminine energies or however we want to describe it are uh, probably going to be pretty tumultuous for a while until and unless we turn inward and resolve and own and claim all the power struggles between our own masculine and feminine inside of us, man, woman, whatever we are. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I, for one, am enjoying um, being more curious about those energies and how they play inside me versus what it looks like on the outside. The, if my attention is mostly on the inside to the dynamic interplay of the masculine and feminine inside me. So that's been the practice of late is seeing is, is focusing less on the fact that I'm a woman and focusing more on the fact that I'm a dynamic interplay of masculine and feminine energies. And I just happen to be biologically uh, observable as a female. <laughs> like most things, I think, in life, it starts first and foremost as an inside job. Yep. And then that ripples out. Yep. Here's to the inside job. This has been Naked Conversations, Women Uninterrupted. If our conversation inspired or provoked you, we hope you'll start a meaningful exchange with the people in your life. We're grateful to Kevin McLeod, who generously provided this music, and to artist Tom X, a dear friend of Lisa's, for providing the beautiful painting that graces our show title. Until next time, may we all remember the sometimes miraculous power of real dialogue and practice having kind, curious, and naked conversations. <laughs>